listening to Expand Your Horizons, the podcast for English language teachers and wanderlust indulgers. This is Lauren and Shannon, teacher training duo of TefelHorizons.com. Each week, we bring you teaching advice, travel tips, and inspiring stories from around the globe. Here's to making this big world a little smaller by connecting ESL teachers everywhere. Hello, and welcome back to Expand Your Horizons, the Temple Horizons podcast. I am Shannon, and I am here with Lauren. Hi. We are recording together this week, which is exciting. And in this episode, we want to bring you six more tips for teaching grammar, um, like we did in episode eight. But this time, we want to focus these six tips more on the planning and resources stage of of the lesson. Um, So in this episode, we're actually going to going to tell you six tips um, for grammar, resources, and planning. So shall we get started? Let's get started. All right. Um, So our very first tip, number one, is to use a lesson framework. If you're not sure what I mean by that, um, the short version of it is, basically, a lot of teachers look at planning a grammar lesson and they feel overwhelmed because they don't even know where to start. Um, They don't really have an idea of how to structure the lesson in the first place. So a lesson framework is basically a structure or a pattern of activities that you can use to to structure and organize your lesson. Um, We have just done a couple of really in-depth blog posts on lesson frameworks specifically for grammar lessons. Um, So definitely check those out if you haven't already. You can find them by going to tefelhorizons.com forward slash blog. So you'll see one one framework that is called the test teach test framework and one that is called a text-based framework. But these frameworks are basically maps that show you where you need to go next with your lesson. So they're kind of a step-by-step outline that you can use for any grammar lesson. And once you know this outline, once you kind of know what type of activity needs to come next in the lesson and then needs to come after that, um, you can plug in any material you want. You just find activities that fit with that particular stage. Lauren, does that sound about right? Anything you want to add to frameworks? No, I think that that actually uh, uh, leads us really nicely actually into point number two. So our second piece of advice today is to use the course book as a jumping off point. Uh, In previous episodes, we've talked about how the course book doesn't know your students as much as or as well as you know your students. And while that's true, the course book should at least give you another type of framework with uh, which within which to work. Uh, while you're planning your lesson. So first of all, let's imagine that you're looking at a a two-page spread of what's labeled a grammar lesson. So somewhere on that page is going to be something like uh, practice activities, maybe like a text or a test, like Shannon mentioned before, and probably a little blurb about the grammar. So like some um, examples, maybe a couple questions about the grammar for the students. So what we suggest you do is, is look at it um, as though you're a student and then question what you still need to know in order to finish those activities. The, the problem that new teachers get into is that they get really overwhelmed by 
what they don't know. Mm -hmm. And so they start going to all of these outside resources like, oh my goodness, I don't know how to teach this grammar. I don't even know what it is. Right. Uh, what is present perfect? And they start panicking and they pull out a really big encyclopedia looking book and, and get sort of in the weeds of the grammar. So here's a great trick. You're looking at your course book page and it's a grammar lesson like we've already talked about. There are a couple of grammar examples. Somewhere on that page likely references a page in the back of the book. Mm -hmm. So it will say like, look at grammar bank, whatever. Flip to the back of the book. Whatever is in the grammar bank in the back of the book is what students need to know by the end of the lesson. You might want to do a little bit more outside research for your own own uh, knowledge, but what students need to know is usually going to be in a, a box that's about like uh, the, the width of like a third of a page, mm -hmm. which isn't that much information. As long as you can nail that information, you'll give your students uh, the, um, the, the grammar that they need by the end of the lesson. So again, it's in the back of the book. It's usually labeled like grammar bank. And the great thing to note there is that uh, there are oftentimes extra activities as well, um, extra like uh, controlled practice activities in the back of the book too. So your course book is a great resource um, for a jumping off point for researching the grammar that you're going to teach. Definitely, because it's already packaged, like Lauren said, into exactly what what just the students need to know. So if you're teaching a pre-intermediate class, it's already gonna be kind of graded down to the level that a pre-intermediate student should be able to grasp. And it really gives you just the essential information that they need on meaning and form, and sometimes even some stuff on pronunciation. Yeah. Another good trick there is like, it will, it will give a pretty straightforward explanation in the back of the book, like let's take the present perfect. So it will say like, um, I've, I've been to Paris three times and then it will give a, a quick explanation. Like we use the present perfect to describe, uh, something we've, we've done at the past when the, uh, time is not specified or something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, those clear descriptions are really easily turned into questions, which are, which are really good to ask your students. So do we use the, you know, do we use, I've been to Paris three times to describe a specific time in the past? No. You know, do we know exactly when the person's been to Paris? No. But is it sometime before now? Yes. Um, so again, don't, don't panic when planning a grammar lesson. Start with a book. Yeah. And we just did a couple of webinars that show you exactly what we're talking about. So if this all seems a little bit, I don't know, in the ether and you're having a hard time actually picturing or kind of imagining how exactly this works... Um, definitely check out the webinars. You know that we're all about showing instead of telling as teachers. So we really do walk you through exactly what we mean right now, both with um, using a specific lesson framework and pattern, and then also how to use the course book as this really nice jumping off point for your lesson. So we actually take a grammar page in a course book and then show you exactly what we're talking about right now, how to find all of this stuff and what to do with all of the different course book activities. So if you're interested in that, again, go to tevelhorizons.com forward slash blog. And on the two, actually the three most recent blog posts, they'll walk you through what we're talking about now with the different lesson frameworks. And then at the end, there's a place if you want to view the replay videos from those webinars and you can actually see exactly what we're mentioning, um, there's a place for you to sign up to get the video links emailed to you. So definitely helpful. Absolutely. So, so that brings us to 
to piece of advice number three. Yeah, and so just to recap, number one was to use a framework, and then number two was once you've got your framework, look in the course book first as your jumping off point, both for the lesson activities and for information on the grammar itself. So number three leads kind of closely off of those first two tips. Um, And number three is one of my favorites. It's basically all about narrowing down the amount that you're teaching. So we really want to, in our lessons in general, but I would say especially in grammar lessons, we really want to follow that old adage, teach a lot about a little rather than a little about a lot. It's so good. So important. And I think this is another place where teachers sort of fall into the temptation of trying to teach all the things, right? Especially if they don't know where to look in the first place. They've just pulled out this giant grammar book and learned all the things they they think they need to know about the present perfect and then now they want to teach all the things about the present perfect and also the present perfect continuous and also the simple past and any other questions that students might ask in the lesson Um, but if you've got 45 minutes or 60 minutes or even 90 minutes it's much more useful for students to spend that time feeling really confident with one bit of information with one tense or even one one aspect of that tense uh, rather than you trying to teach them all the things like rather than rather than them knowing a little bit about this and kind of understanding this and kind of understanding this other thing um, much better to provide one really good in-depth focused teaching um, of one small aspect of language that they then have a lot of time to practice rather than just giving them a smattering of all these different things that they then can't really use confidently by the end of the lesson. Yeah. And usually the course books do set up lessons in digestible chunks. Usually. I mean, there are a couple of times where I'll even pare down the information uh, in, in the course book, but very often the course books are set up, you know, by, by people who, who have, who have, tested the lesson um, in a classroom and who know, you know, it will, this amount of information will approximately fit into you know, 60 or 90 minutes. Right, right. And that's true. Usually course books will have it already kind of pared down, but not always. Um, and if you're not using a course book very closely, if you're not kind of prepared to narrow things down, if you're not in that mindset already, it's really tempting to, to think something like, oh, I'm going to teach a grammar lesson on modals, right? right? But modals are... So that's so much. That's so much it information. It volume. Right. I mean, we can think of so many different modal auxiliaries, can, should, might, must, may, have to, ought to. Then that there's past modals, should have, must have, could have, would have, all of that. Plus, all these different modals have often completely different uses with different meanings. So can can be used for ability. I can do something. It can also be used for permission. Correct. Can I do this? Right. Um, and that's kind of just the tip of the iceberg. So thinking that you're going to cover that in 60 minutes is overwhelming for you to plan, super overwhelming for the students to try to learn. Um, but occasionally you will see things like that in course books. Yeah. The course book will say like, okay, you know, this lesson is on modals and it gives you nine different yeah. modal verbs and, and their uses. Um, and the reason the course book, I guess, is doing that is because you know, it's assuming the authors of the course book are assuming that the students have made it all the way through the book to that point and probably all the way through the previous books in that course book series and are now kind of ready for just a general review. Um, but you know your students, you know what the lessons have been up to that point. 
And you also know what is reasonable, probably after listening to this podcast, um, to cover in the amount of time that you have. So I would definitely recommend if you see something like that, narrow it way down, pick a couple of different modals or, you know, okay, we're going to do just present modals for probability right now. Um, And that's what you then plan your lesson on. And don't worry if you're cutting out a lot of other stuff. Those can be, the things you're cutting out can be made into different lessons in the future. Yeah. Yeah. So definitely follow the rule. Teach a lot about a little instead of trying to teach a little bit about a lot of different things. Yeah. That actually goes really nicely with our next point, Mm -hmm. which is, uh, so piece of advice number four um, add more activities, not more information. So if you know you have followed piece of advice number three from Shannon, which is to pare down the, the amount of information you're going to present to your students, um, then what you want to do is plan your lesson around that pare down information. Uh, a lot of teachers start panicking because they think, well, you know, I, I have an hour and 90 minutes to fill. You know, I just, I need to give them all of this information in 90 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, and we really urge you to keep the information streamlined and add more activities instead. So what we're looking at is if you, if you have looked at our blogs on frameworks, uh, what you'll do is you'll, you'll have some sort of lead into your lesson and then whatever comes after your lead in, whether it's a, a test or a text as we've talked about previously, is, is uh, where you pull the grammar from. So that's the grammar you're going to teach. Um, and sometimes it can go faster um, than what a teacher has originally planned. And so they look at the clock and they're like, oh my goodness, I still have 45 minutes left. Mm-hmm. And they start panicking and they just like start throwing other stuff on the board. Um, and it, it, ca- it can cause a bit of chaos because it wasn't pre-planned. The students have all of these unexpected questions. So what we urge you to do is just keep forging ahead and move on to your practice activities. More practice never hurt any students. So if you find yourself with 45 minutes left, move on to your controlled practice, which is going to be like a multiple choice or a fill in the blank type of activity with specific answers. All right. So if that's gone pretty well and the students seem to have a grasp on that, you've gone over the answers. There are no major questions. Then you've likely planned a freer practice activity. So something with a communicative goal. Here's where you can really extend your lesson. Um, and, uh, you don't have to worry about planning extra activities either. So what you can do if you're stuck at the end of the lesson and you don't have a backup activity, you can extend your free your practice. So students will always benefit from doing the practice activity even again if you don't have mm-hmm. anything else planned. So have them switch partners and, and have them do it again or have them do it again with a slightly different focus. Uh, so for example, you have had them talking about uh, the, the biggest and the best things to do in uh, their hometowns. Well, so they've had the opportunity to talk to one or two other students they can switch groups and do it again and learn more information about someone else in their class and report back to the class. Um, I also like to, to have in my lesson plan what I call an extension activity, so something that I can tack on to the end that's still related to the grammar um, that we can use if 
there's time, or I can use in the next class as sort of a review of what we've just done. Um, so don't right. don't yeah. think that over planning is is a waste of time because you can always use it in the future. Exactly. Like if you don't get to it, no big deal. But then if you need it, if you have extra time, you've got it. Yeah. I feel like the the more time that students have to practice, uh, the better they will be with the grammar anyway. Um, so I, I wouldn't worry if I were you about having a, a lot of time at the end of the lesson. More practice activities are fine. Definitely. And if you know, so if you've taken a CELTA or if you've worked with us before and heard us talk about this, if you know about delayed error correction, sometimes called language-focused feedback, that's basically where after the students have done, let's say, a freer practice after a grammar lesson, um, and they, you know, so they've practiced the grammar, but it's in a more fluent way. Maybe they've talked about what Lauren said, they're uh, the biggest and best things to do in their hometown with uh, in groups of three. Um, if you've been monitoring during that time and collecting mistakes that you hear them make, um, you know, if you've got extra time at the end of the lesson, why not do that delayed error correction stage right away and then have them switch partners, right? So you can even sort of upgrade their ability in the second round. So not only are they, you know, it kind of takes it above and beyond just feeling like, oh, I'm just making them do the same thing again. Okay, no, now you're having them do it again, but with new partners and after you've corrected some of the errors you heard the first time around. Absolutely. So for those of you who are not familiar with delayed error correction, a really easy way to do it is while the students are doing their freer practice, they're speaking to their partner or in small groups, just write down the errors that you hear. You don't need to correct them on the spot, Mm -hmm. um, but get them on the board at the end of that practice Um, activity and you can have the students uh, correct those errors together in pairs yep and just one other thing to add before we move on to the next tip Um, so Lauren you were talking about you know seeing teachers sort of trying to spontaneously bring in new information at the end of a lesson in the lesson because they realize they have extra time I've even seen teachers and I'm sure you have too fall into this trap in the planning stages so even as they're planning their lesson you know let's say they're planning a grammar lesson They've planned kind of all the grammar activities they think they need, and then they look at the plan and they say, oh, okay, you know, I've still got 10 or 20 minutes, it looks like, that's going to be left at the end of this lesson. So I think during that time, I'll probably just teach these eight vocab words. Right. And if you think about it, maybe that sounds like a good idea at first. Like, oh, yeah, sure, you've got 20 minutes, you know, why not bring in this vocab that you think the students would find useful? But the thing about that is... In that last 10 or 20 minutes, because who knows at the end of the lesson in actuality if you're really going to have the full 20 minutes or if it's going to be more like 10, Um, in that last chunk of time, are you really going to have time to, first of all, introduce the vocabulary in a way that is contextualized and makes sense? Yeah, meaningful. Um, Is meaningful, right? Then are you really going to have time to clarify it, go over meaning and form and pronunciation in a way that is nice and organized and thorough? And then are the students going to still have time to practice the vocabulary so that at the end of the lesson they really can use it? That probably is not realistic in terms of all of that happening in a way that's done well in the last 10 or 20 minutes of your lesson, which was a grammar lesson, right? So much more valuable not to bring in new material at all. And instead, like Lauren was saying, just plan an extra activity for the grammar, an extra practice activity for the grammar, um, or how you can extend the practice activity that you've already, that you already have uh, for that grammar. Um, So 
rule of thumb is really the last 10, 20 minutes of a lesson is never the time to bring in new material or new, new language, new grammar, new vocabulary. That's the time to practice what's already been taught in the yeah. lesson more. Yeah. And in observing lessons, what I've noticed over the years is that um, if you're doing a free practice activity at the end of your class with uh, an upper intermediate, say, group of students, uh, they're more likely to be able to sustain conversation for longer periods of time on one topic. So you might see that you that they're doing your free practice for a bit longer. With pre-intermediate students, my advice is always, um, you know, to have them switch partners and do it again, like I was saying before, because they don't tend to extend to uh, to maintain conversation for that long about a topic. So it's fine to have them switch partners and do the same activity again. Uh, they are probably a lot less anxious about that, actually. Yeah. Um, you know, being able to talk to more people rather than one person for a really long time. Exactly. Yep. Good. Okay. So that was tip number four, which was add more activities, not new information. Um, and that brings us to tip number five. Um, which really goes along with all of these. I think this is sort of at the heart of everything we've been talking about in our planning stage. Um, so tip number five is adapt, adapt, adapt. Basically, you are in charge of your lesson. So you want to make whatever material you're using work for you. That means if you're using a course book, um, if you're using material that your school has given you, use it, but use it the way you want to use it. If it's not fitting exactly what you want to do and what you want to focus on in your lesson, you know, like if it's too broad, for example, or too much information, um, cut it down. Just take a hatchet to it. (laughs) Feel free to adapt away because this is yours at the end of the day. Um, And it's, I think it's tempting for newer teachers to sort of see course book material as ready-made. Like they see, oh, well, there are these six activities on the page. So that means I need to go right down the line and do all six activities because that's that's what it says here. Um, but instead of thinking of the course book as ready-made material, you really want to think of it as raw material from which to sculpt your perfect lesson, right? Like it's, it's there as raw material for you to then sort of mold and do what you want with. Don't yeah. think of it as, as done. Um, because again, the course book doesn't know your students. The course book doesn't know how much time you have. It thinks you have all the time in the world to teach all the things. You know that you only have 60 minutes, for example, in which you want to teach just the present perfect. Yeah. So definitely adapt. Um, that means that if you look at, uh, for example, excuse me, a controlled practice exercise and you see wow, number six seems really unnecessarily confusing. I really don't know how I would explain just that one. Cut it out. Why not? Like, why set yourself up for this thing that you know is going to be an issue that you're really not comfortable explaining based on what you will have taught in the earlier stage of the lesson, right? Just cut that one out. Um, Replace it with a different one that makes more sense or, you know, they'll only have eight questions on the controlled practice instead of nine or whatever. They won't know the difference. Um cut it. Or the books sometimes will give a reading lesson. And then at the end of the reading lesson, there's a whole vocabulary exercise Mm -hmm. on words that were in the text. Sure. Um, But like we were just talking about in the previous tip, if you feel like that vocabulary exercise is going to come in the last 15 minutes of the lesson, is that really something you're going to have time to do well? 
or would it be more useful for the students just to have a fluency discussion about the text that they just read? Right. So, you know, save that vocab exercise for the next lesson um, and and choose something else instead. Yeah. So really just have fun with the material. I think once teachers realize that they kind of have permission to do what they want with the material and really make it work for them, um, they become a lot more committed to what they're teaching. Lessons are more comfortable. You really have this nice sense of ownership and proactivity over, over what you're doing. Absolutely. But if that overwhelms you a little bit, remember Shannon's uh, piece of advice about frameworks. So you don't have to do it alone. Um there's, there are still frameworks in place that you can plug the, the activities into. So there's still a format. We're just saying look at it a little bit more freely and adapt the way you want to present the information to your students. You know them better than course books do. Also, course book creators have different assumptions about language teaching and learning uh, that might not be your assumptions about language teaching and learning, and that's fine. Um, I, I think... Shannon and I have both probably had to use course books along the way that we didn't necessarily love, but that our mm-hmm. schools um, gave us to use. Right, it um, happens. And being able to adapt that lesson and use a framework um, is really freeing because you can use sort of any any course book, even if it's not very good, um, and still make the best of it. Exactly. And I know we're going back to frameworks, which was our first tip, but I think um, a lot of teachers, especially those teachers who want to feel like they have a lot of flexibility in their lessons, which is totally fair, um, are hesitant when they first hear this idea of frameworks because it sounds like it's going to make everything really rigid. Uh-huh. Like, oh, really? I have to do, you know, these exact stages in this exact order every single time I teach a grammar lesson. And I know it sounds like that, but it really is, like Lauren said, actually kind of freeing because it gives you this sort of pattern But within that pattern, you have so many choices, right? Like the first stage is a lead-in always, but you have endless numbers of of things that you can do in a Mm -hmm. lead-in. And so once you know that, then you can look at the course book and say, okay, the course book has has material here that I think could work as, you know, a controlled practice, and here's something I think would work as a freer practice, but it doesn't really have anything else that I like. So I know, okay, I have those two things. Since I know the framework, all I need to do is, you know, think of other activities or other ways I can supplement right. the other stages. Yep. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Again, if, if this is something that you are sort of understanding as we're explaining it, but you really want more of a kind of an in-depth view of what this actually looks like with a real course book page, um, definitely check out those replay videos yeah. I mentioned of our webinars. Um, they're free. It's basically like free training for planning a grammar lesson just because we, we really want teachers to feel better about being able to do this well. Um, so go to the blog. We won't spam you. You just put your email address in and we send you the link and you can watch the videos. Nice. Good. Okay. So that brings us to our final tip. Lauren, what's tip number six? So tip number six is resources. Um, in tip number two, we mentioned uh, to use the course book as a jumping off point. Um, for your research and what you're going to present to the students. But we know that sometimes teachers want to understand a bit more in depth about the grammar point that they are going to teach. Um, So uh, resources come with a word of warning. Um, Just because (laughs) you've gone to a resource and learned all these great things about the grammar you're going to teach does not mean the students need to know all of it in the lesson. Right. If you want to know it for your own uh, for your own knowledge, great. Um, 
that's wonderful. But students need smaller digestible chunks. Um, that being said, um, we do have a couple of resources that we would love to recommend to you. Um, the first one I think of when people ask me where they should go, you know, for a good grammar resource, especially, uh, when they're teaching, um, tenses is called teaching tenses <laughs> by, to <laughs> right, by Rosemary Aitken. Um, we actually have that, um, on our resource page, um, on our website. So if you go to tefelhorizons.com forward slash books you'll see a bunch of resources that we've recommended yeah these they, are kind of like our favorite like our top choices right for, for books right the reason i love teaching tenses is that uh so she gives pretty clear explanations of um what the the verb forms mean uh their forms as well uh but one thing that i think is invaluable in this resource i feel a little bit like I have deja vu. I think I might have said this in a previous episode. Sorry <laughs> for repeating. Possible. Sorry for repeating myself if I did. But she also lists problems and solutions, so potential problems that students might have with the grammar, and suggests mm-hmm. ways that we can help them understand uh, the, or correct the problem as well. So again, it's called Teaching Tenses by Rosemary Aitken. Um, she does a great job with with grammar, uh, with meaning, the meaning of the grammar. Um, where I have found that a lot of grammar resources sort of lack is uh, covering pronunciation. Mm-hmm. Um, so if that's something that you are that you're interested in, there are other resources you can go to. I know that um, on the Cambridge website, so Cambridge English Teacher, they actually have a couple of um, great videos um, about teaching pronunciation, and that's also something that will be. Uh, we'll be working on to present to you soon. Yeah. Is that cambridgeenglishteacher.org? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, good. And then uh, the other, there. so again, visit our resource page. Uh, Shannon's put it together. It's beautiful. Um, if you're interested in any of those resources, there are links right on that page um, in order for you to, to purchase them um, on Amazon. So super easy. Um, check it out. Uh, Shannon, do you have a, a favorite book like grammar book that you go to besides teaching tenses (laughs) teaching tenses is great another one that we have on there is um the azar book i think it's called understanding and using english grammar by betty azar that one is helpful i think for form especially she tends to do a bit less with meaning so i think teaching tenses is better for meaning and for sort of those anticipated problems like students might be confused about this here's how you deal with it um but i really like the Azar book, it does a really nice job of, gives you sort of these very clear charts. I just like the way it's organized. Yeah. Um, my brain is occasionally analytical, so that aspect of it really likes kind of the way she breaks everything down. And she does do a lot of, which I really haven't seen anywhere else. They're a bit stilted sometimes, but she does a lot of really effective verbal controlled practice exercises. So... Definitely not like the only activity that you want for practice in your lesson, but a really awesome way to scaffold your lesson. Like um, if you do a worksheet and then the Azar book has these like sort of back and forth pair discussions that are hyper focused on the grammar point that are really cool. Yeah. Good. I can't think of anywhere else I've seen that. No, I haven't either. Um, Right. Yeah. So again, uh, teflhorizons.com forward slash books. Yep. And they link if you, there's like a 
button that says buy on each of the books if you want any of them. You probably don't need all of them. <laughs> Save yourself the money. But, yeah. you know, one of the ones we recommend are like pick one that seems good to you. Amazon, usually you can like page through and do that free preview mm-hmm. thing so you can get a sense of what the format looks like and which one you like better. Um, they are affiliate links, so full disclosure, it's not going to change the price for you, but it does help us out a little bit if you purchase through the link on our site rather than directly through Amazon. So just FYI. Awesome. Um, the other uh, the other resource that we want to recommend to you is one that we have crafted with you in mind. Um, so if you've been listening to us for a while or you've followed us um, on social media and checked out our website, you've seen uh, the course that we've put together called Be Your Own Grammar Guru. Um, it's a, a, a grammar course for teachers made by us teachers. Um, and we put it together with uh, the, the ESL teacher in mind. We thought sort of about uh, the way we look at grammar as teachers and how we didn't look at it before we started teaching. Mm-hmm. And we tried to, to sort of fill in that gap. So we've said before, even if you, you teach, even if you speak well and you write well, doesn't necessarily mean that you know yet how to look at grammar the way our students need to look at it in order to learn it. So we've put together a course it's a 16-unit uh, self-paced course called Be Your Own Grammar Guru, um, and it has uh, videos, it's got downloadable worksheets, quizzes, we've got um, journal prompts uh, meant for your use, so for the teacher's use, but all also pieces of it can be brought into the classroom mm-hmm. as practice for your students as well. There's, um, there's a grammar chart page that, uh, is, that you're able to fill in as you watch a video. Um, and yeah, so we encourage you to check it out. Uh, there is a free preview yeah. on, um, our website also, um, yeah, on our website. So if you want to check out sort of how the course works and what the videos look like, uh, we invite you to check that out. Yeah, absolutely. We, I mean, Lauren and I have have been teaching for a long time and we've been training teachers for a long time. And I think this course was really born out of our desire to, to just help teachers feel better about grammar because yeah. we've seen Every course, you know, um, when our, especially when our candidates are native speakers. If you're a non-native speaker, then you knew how complicated English grammar was or can be, right? Like you had to learn it um, at some point yourself before you were ready to teach it. But for native speakers, I think the biggest thing is it's not that they don't want to prepare and it's not that they don't want to know the grammar before the course. It's just that often as, a, as native speakers, they don't even know how much they don't know. Like they just... There's no way to know that until they show up and they're told that they have to teach this grammar point and they didn't even know that that was a thing, that that was a term. Um, It's just so far from what native speakers are sort of used to thinking about. Mm -hmm. And so we've seen a lot of tears, a lot of frustration, a lot of people almost wanting to quit their training course just because they were so intimidated by the grammar. And it at that point seemed so overwhelming. Um, So what we really wanted to do with Be Your Own Grammar Guru was provide this really easy format, easy package, here's everything you need for the most basic common grammar points that come up in a a class. Um, And delivered in a way that's fun, it's not stressful, it has videos, it's really clear. And then with all these printable resources that you can take home. So each unit 
has a downloadable, basically, reference page. Lauren designed them. They're absolutely gorgeous. Um, colorful. <laughs> they have timelines. Um, really nicely organized information. So if you were to print each of those out and put them together, you basically are also making your own grammar reference book, um, which has really just the stuff that you need for the students, not like the encyclopedia level linguistics professor level of like all the things about the present perfect, for example, but like just the stuff that you are going to need in the classroom to feel really good about teaching that and answering any students' questions that come up. And the great thing about the course is that it's completely self-paced. So 16 units that you can work through on uh, your own time. And also the resources are yours for life. Um, Yeah, it doesn't expire. (laughs) There's no time limit in which you have to complete it. Um, So you can use it forever. You can bring the videos into your classroom if you want to. You can bring the principal resources into your class, make copies for the students if you want. Um, yeah. Yeah. Clearly, we're excited about it. We yeah. poured a lot, <clears throat> excuse me, into this, and um, we're just really excited at the opportunity to help people feel better <laughs> about grammar, to feel more confident. Great. Yeah. Um, okay. So, so just to summarize great. the tips that we've covered so far, um, so our six tips for the resources and planning stage of a grammar lesson. Tip number one is to use a lesson framework. Again, go check out the blog if you're not sure what that is, teflhorizons.com forward slash blog. Lauren, tip number two? Tip number two is use the course book as a jumping off point. Yep. Tip number three is to remember to teach a lot about a little, not a little about a lot. And number four is to add more activities, not more information. Tip number five is to adapt away. So make your materials work for you. And tip number six, check out our resource page. All right. I think that does it. We hope you are enjoying teaching. Thank you so much for listening. It really means so much to us. Um, And if you are listening and you are enjoying these episodes, um, we would love for you to reach out, really. It, It would be really great to get your feedback positive, constructive, or otherwise. We're teachers. We can take it. Absolutely. (laughs) Find us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, um, Twitter. We're on Twitter. We're trying to learn how to tweet. It's been pretty exciting. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Great. And um, yeah, or leave us a comment just um, on this page. So thanks, everybody, and we will see you next week. Bye. Thanks for listening. Your support means so much to us. Feel free to leave a comment below if you enjoyed this and let us know what you want to hear about in upcoming episodes. If you know other teachers and travelers, we'd love for you to share this podcast with them too. And tune in this coming Tuesday for our next episode. Until then, you can find us at teflhorizons.com. Let's keep making this big world smaller by expanding horizons.